Hi, my name is Jackie Marcel, and I serve here at Heights Baptist Church in the children's ministry. Thank you so much for joining us online. If you would like to connect with us, we have a Facebook page, Instagram, and our website, which is heightschurch.org connect. Thank you so much for joining us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 34. We are moving through 1 Corinthians. We are going to be finished by the end of August, Lord willing. Well, we have been in a series, as you see on the screen, called Hope Beyond the Grave. And what we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is what Paul is writing a lot about the resurrection. He's talked about the resurrection of Jesus. Today we're going to look a little bit more about your resurrection. Next week, even more about what your resurrection as a believer in Jesus Christ will look like. And when you stop and think about what's going to happen to you when you die, that's going to change how you live right now. All right, so when you stop and think, okay, here's what's to come. When I think about the future, then that should affect how I live today. For instance, there are some Muslims that believe that if they die in a holy war or they're martyred for their faith, then that speeds along their way into getting into heaven. Jehovah's Witnesses believe, all right, I'm going to live a good and moral life and be the best person I possibly can be. So maybe I'll be one of the 144,000 witnesses that get to experience the new heaven and the new earth. A lot of Eastern religions uh, in the Eastern part of our world will teach that you need to live a good and moral life now. So when you die, maybe in this life or in the lives to come that you're going to live, that you experience a piece of nirvana. You know, there's some people who just believe, well, death is it. You, you live your life, and you die, and put your body in the ground, and there's nothing beyond the grave. It's just black. It's dark. That's, that's all it is. You cease to exist. So what you believe about what is to come when you die changes how you live right now. And so the Apostle Paul is starting to unpack more and more of what the resurrection of Jesus looks like and what your resurrection looks like to come as a believer to show us how to live today. And so I want to unpack four truths for you uh, about Jesus in this text that should cause you right now to live a little differently as a Christian. So these four truths, when you understand about who Jesus is, that ought to affect the way we live right now as believers in Christ. So here's the first truth that's going to be on the screen for you. Because Jesus lives, you have life today and tomorrow. Okay, so because Jesus lives, you have life today and life tomorrow. Well, let's pick up in chapter 15 in verse 20. He says, Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, but by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, he says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. So Paul says there that Christ is our first fruits of our resurrection, that First fruits is a guarantee of more to come. Because Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again, and Christ never died again. Now that he is our first fruits as a believer in that resurrection. That means even though you die physically because of Christ, you never die spiritually. You're always alive. He's the guarantee of our physical resurrection to come. But did you notice he compared two people, Paul did? Verse 22, 
He says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. See, because Christ lives today, because of his resurrection, you have life today spiritually and for all of eternity. But Paul says, you identify with somebody. He says, in Adam, all die. And he's pointing you all the way back to Adam in the garden. Because of Adam's sin and Adam's disobedience, Adam, through his disobedience, brought death into this world. That was a consequence of sin. Consequence of sin is physical death and spiritual death. That's something that we all earn. We all earn hell. We all earn separation from God. That's our penalty to be paid because of our sin. You know, one of the things I, I love to do is sit down with some of our kids when it's time for them to get baptized. And they'll say, hey, you know, I want to get baptized. And me or Jackie will meet with them or, or together we'll meet with them. And, and I just love sitting and talking to the kids about the gospel. And, you know, and I'll say, hey, tell me what you believe about Jesus, you know, and, and we start unpacking what they believe about Jesus. And then I'll ask them this question, tell me what you believe about sin. What is sin, right? And I, I wish I could write down all the answers I get because some of them are really cute. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll tell me about sin. I'm like, okay, you know what, you're right on that, that sin's doing something that God doesn't want us to do. And, and I'll ask them this question. I'm like, have you ever sinned? And they'll go, yeah, I've, I've sinned, yeah. Says mom or dad, if mom and dad's in the room with us, have mom and dad ever sinned, right? And boy, it gets a little squirmy, right? You know, and they're like, ah. I'm like, you know what? Mom and dad has sinned, yeah. And then I ask them this, this is my favorite one. I was like, do you think Pastor Lee's ever sinned? I mean, their eyes get all big, and they're like, no. I'm like, okay, you don't know Pastor Lee well enough, right? You hang out with me a little longer, you know? Like, well, you know what? Pastor leave and sins. And I'm like, whoa. I'm like, yeah, we all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We identify with Adam in that sense. And so through Adam's disobedience, death came into our world. But through Christ's obedience, what Paul's saying is that through Christ, because of his obedient death and resurrection on our behalf, now life is into our world. So you have to identify with one of two people. Today, you are either in Adam and you're heading for hell or you are in Christ and you have life today and life tomorrow. Isn't that good news? So if you today are over here in Adam, if that's you today, if you say, you know what, I, man, I've got sin and I, I'm trying to deal with it. I'm trying to deal with it like a Jehovah's Witness and I'll be really good in my life. I'll try to earn my way in. If that's you, no, 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 no. Join us by faith over here in Christ and find life. Life today and life tomorrow. Because he lives, we have life today and life tomorrow. But let me give you the second truth. Second truth is this. When Jesus comes back, your resurrection happens. Okay, so when Jesus comes back, your resurrection happens. Now pick up in verse 23. He says, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, right? So now Paul's getting into the physical resurrection that you will have one day as a believer in Jesus Christ. Now what Paul does not do in that verse is unpack the whole timeline for you of what will happen when Jesus comes again. All right, so if you're interested more in how all that's going to work out, 
read the book of Revelation. There's other New Testament passages that you can find that show you more of the order of how things are going to happen. Or maybe talk to someone in your life group who has it already charted and grafted out for you, okay? All right, like two of you got that joke, and that's totally okay. That's fine. We're just going to move on and just go quickly right there, because that might have hit close to home for some of you, all right? But what Paul's saying in verse 23 is this. This is the good news. It's not about timelines. It's about what Jesus does. When Christ comes again, those who belong to Christ have a resurrection physically. One of the most popular questions I get that maybe you've gotten over time when you talk to a family member or a friend is, what happens when I die? What, what, what happens when I die? Some of you may be wondering that today, what, what is going to happen when I die? Some people believe there's a thing called soul sleep, where everybody sleeps for a time, and then when Jesus comes back, there's the judgment. Others believe in a purgatory or an intermediate state between heaven or hell. And you're in purgatory for as long of the time that you need to serve in purgatory. And if you were good enough in this life, then you get to go out of purgatory and you get to go to heaven. Or if you were bad in this life, then you're in purgatory for that uh, amount of time and then you go to hell. All right. So there's kind of an intermediate purgatory type state. Again, some people believe the grave is just all there is. You're going to live, you die, and that's it. Right? The Bible teaches you this. That when you die as a believer in Jesus Christ, at that very moment, your soul goes to be immediately with the Lord. Paul says it this way, you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. I believe that happens within a nanosecond. I mean, not even five seconds goes by. You are right in the very presence of God because we see in the Bible that God holds us in his hand. Romans chapter 8, nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, and that includes death. So at the very moment you breathe your last breath, this side of heaven, you close your eyes, you just immediately open them to see Jesus, and you're with Jesus. That's where your soul is. Now, your body remains here. And whether you are cremated, you're buried, you know, something happens, you die in a tragic accident, your body remains here. But when Christ comes again, he resurrects that body. And now that new glorified heavenly body reunites with your soul. Next week, we're going to look at the next few verses that are going to give you way more details about that than what I just gave you. But stop and think about it this way. What a glorious day that resurrection is going to be. Because that new glorified body, it's never going to break. It's never going to get hurt. How many of you are in that stage of life, you wake up some mornings and felt like you went 15 rounds with Mike Tyson the night before, right? You're like, why can I move my neck because I slept on my pillow wrong, or I slept wrong and my back's all locked up, or, you know, you go out and you sprain your ankle, you twist your knee, exercise, all, all of that is gone, right? All of that doesn't happen anymore. No more sickness, no more illness, no more death. That is a perfect glorified body that you have when Jesus comes again. And so now when Christ comes again, you have a physical resurrection. But let me give you the third truth. All right, so our first truth is because Jesus lives, you have life today, life tomorrow. When he comes again, you have a, a resurrection, you get a glorified body. But here's your third truth. When Christ comes again, all enemies are defeated. When Christ comes again, all enemies are defeated. Let's pick up in verse 24. 
He says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy, verse 26 says, to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says, verse 27, all things are put in subjection, it is plain that it is expected who all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to God, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Here's what Paul's saying. When Christ comes again, all enemies are defeated. Everyone who stands opposed to Christ now, who will stand opposed to Christ at that moment when he comes again, are defeated. Everyone in opposition is defeated. Paul is applying here Psalm 110 verse 1. In Psalm 110 verse 1, that is a messianic psalm that David wrote that points to Jesus. And verse 1 of Psalm 110 says this, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now notice what Paul said in verse 25. He said in verse 25, he must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. Now again, he's not getting into all the timelines of the end times with you there. That's other sections of the Bible. But what you need to know is this, that there is a day and a time where all enemies are defeated. All evil is destroyed. Everyone who opposes him is defeated. And he uses that phrase and that language that he, he puts them under his footstool. You know, back in the time of kings and queens, the king would often have his throne elevated in the room. And the reason that his throne was elevated, that when you came in and you bowed before the king, you would be below the feet of the king. You would be below his footstool be a picture of subjection. It'd be a picture of submission to the king and paying him honor and homage because you came and you bowed before him and you're under him. He's showing you his authority of, over your life. That right there in what Paul wrote ought to trigger some of your minds to another letter he wrote to the church in Philippi. When in Church of Philippi, in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 through 11, when you get down to about verse 10, Paul says this, that when Christ comes again, that at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, those in heaven, those on the earth, and those under the earth, that Christ Jesus is Lord. And when you stop and think about what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, is you have to understand that your knee will bow at some point. At some point, you will bow your knee to King Jesus and confess him as Lord. If you bow your knee right now as a believer in Jesus Christ, what it means to be a believer is to bow that knee, to raise those arms, and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you as my Savior. And when you bow your knee to him right now, and you say, Jesus, I'm not my king. I'm not in control. You're my king. 
You're the king of my life. I, I, I'm following you. You're my king. When you do that, by faith, the Bible says you're saved. If you bow your knee right now to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you as my king. I need you as my savior. That's salvation. That's right now worshiping him. But you know, right now, if you stand and you say, I don't need Jesus. I don't want Jesus. I, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm putting my hands out. I, I'm opposing him. I'm rejecting him. I don't want him in my life. Let me tell you, there's coming a day where you're going to bow that knee. And that's not going to be a day where you say, Jesus, I need you to save me. That's going to be a day when you bow that knee and you drop your head because you've been defeated. You're ashamed because you knew you missed the king. You missed the Savior. You're defeated. There's no hope for you anymore. Because right now, if you die without bowing your knee to Jesus today, there's no second chance. There's no other opportunity. So you've got a choice. Am I one day going to bow my knee in defeat and shame because I rejected the King of kings and Lord of lords? Or am I going to bow my knee today? Say, Jesus, you're my king. I need you. Because that's who he is. He's king. He's Lord. He's Savior. But when will you bow your knee? Because you will. And notice also, Paul says, the last enemy to be defeated is death. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. We sang it earlier. Crown him the Lord of life who triumphed over the grave and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and lives that death may die. Amen? When Christ comes again, all enemies are defeated. But notice the fourth truth about Jesus. So because he lives, you have life today, life tomorrow. When Christ comes again, your resurrection happens. When Christ comes again, all enemies are defeated. But notice this fourth truth right here. Because he lives, your life matters now. Because Jesus lives, your life matters right now. Notice in verse 29, Paul says, Otherwise, why do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead, if the dead are not raised at all. Why are people baptized on their behalf? Now, when you stop and read verse 29, you're going to go, what? <laughs> Paul, huh? Hang on one second. So let's just read that again, all right? Because it's super clear what's happening here, isn't it? Paul says, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? So what you are having in the church of Corinth is some people saying, hey, baptism Sunday's coming up, cool. I'm going to get baptized on behalf of my uncle. Because I don't know if my uncle was saved, so I want to get baptized on his behalf so maybe he can get into heaven. All right, that, that's what was going on. 
So for you today, it'd be like, all right, I'm going to sign up on Ancestry.com, and I'm going to look through my family tree, and oh man, I got this uncle, uncle, you know, great, 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 great uncle James, he came over on the Mayflower, and you know, I don't know if he was saved or not, so hey, sign me up for the next baptism, I'm getting baptized on the behalf of Uncle James, all right? You know how weird and crazy that would get if we did that? Like, hi, I'm Joe. I'm here today to get baptized on behalf of Uncle James who lived, you know, like three generations ago. And, and then, you know, you got Sally who comes up and says, hey, I'm Sally. I'm going to get behalf, you know, baptized on behalf of my dead grandma. And then another person gets ba baptized on behalf of Sally. And I mean, it just gets weird real quick, right? So what's going on here? Because it's interesting in verse 29, Paul doesn't condemn what they're doing, nor does Paul say it's okay or wrong. But understand this, throughout church history and in the early church, nobody's doing this, right? So you go in the first century, second century, third, fourth century, nobody's doing this as a common practice. Nor are even the pagans doing this, all right? So you know it's bad. So Paul is essentially saying this. He's saying, guys, look, baptism doesn't save you. All right, we know that from the Bible. I mean, what they're doing right here is a, is a major contradictory to their own faith. Because they have already said throughout the letter, look, we, we believe that Christ Jesus died on the cross for us and he rose again. So to say I need to be baptized in order for someone to go to heaven, that's a major contradiction of the faith. We believe that the Bible teaches you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Okay, so number one, we recognize that that practice is a contradiction. Number two, baptism is not transferable, okay? So if I come and say, hey, I need to get baptized on behalf of my grandma, no, like no, that it doesn't transfer over to grandma, all right? Baptism is as a believer when you go public with your faith in Jesus. We've got a baptism scheduled next week where one of our young students is going to say, hey, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I believe he died on the cross for my sin, was buried, and rose again. That's why we baptize by immersion, because we're giving you that picture of the death burial and resurrection of Christ, right? So baptism's not transferable. What, what Paul does, though, is really sneaky because he's not making this an issue. He's not outright condoning it. He's not outright condemning it. And he says, guys, you're really just showing how weird this is because did you notice the back half of the verse in verse 29? He said, if the dead are not raised at all, why are you being baptized on their behalf? Remember, the whole issue in this chapter is they say we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And he's already covered like we have this morning that those two things go together. So he's like, what you're doing doesn't make sense on so many levels because you're getting baptized on behalf of someone who's already died, who you say doesn't have a resurrection anyway. Right? Now, what does that have to do with you today? Here's what it has to do with you today. Don't get baptized on behalf of someone else. All right, you got me? Okay, moving on to something else that really matters here because that was kind of a weird verse we had to cover. Here's what the resurrection of Jesus means. And here's why the resurrection of Jesus is important. Because Paul says in verse 30 through 34 this, Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, that which I have in Christ, that I die every day. He's saying, verse 31, I give my whole life over to Jesus. 
What do I have to gain if, humanly speaking, I fought beast at Ephesus? Now, he's metaphorically saying that in verse 32, because as a Roman citizen, you could not be thrown alive in the gladiator ring to fight like beast. Nor would Paul survive that, because Paul in Galatians is like, hey, I got a vision problem. Early in Corinthians, he's like, look, I couldn't lift the, you know, the, the weight bar 45 pounds if I wanted to. All right, I'm a scrawny guy, like, I'm not surviving that. The wild beast in Ephesus in that verse is probably a riot that he survived in chapter 19. I don't know if you know this about Paul, but wherever he went to preach, he often got thrown in prison, beaten up, rocks thrown at him, run out of town, or a riot broke out. All right, that was Paul's ministry. So he's saying there, look, I've survived riots. I've given my life over to Jesus. I had a pretty good life before I started getting beaten up everywhere I'd go to talk about Christ. Then he says in verse 33, don't be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as it is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, and so I say this to your shame. See, Paul's saying this, that because Jesus lives, your life right now matters how you live. Because Paul says, if he didn't live then what's the point? If Christ is still in a grave, what's the point of preaching? Christ is still in the grave. What's the point of me giving up my career that he had as a Pharisee and going to be a Christian? What's the point of all those beatings I've taken and you know, the riots I've escaped? What's the point of you today? If Christ is not live today, what's the point of your giving? Why give some of your income to the work of the gospel? What's the point of you being here? What's the point of you serving? What's the point of you sharing the gospel with other people? If Christ is still in the tomb, what's the point of your Christian life? There is none. That's the argument he's making. But because Christ lives, everything you do now as a Christian matters. So be faithful. And if you want to stop and think, all right, today, what do I need to do in my life today? Be faithful. Be faithful in what God's calling you to do today. For some of you, it's what the last verse says. You need to stop sinning. All right, there is an ongoing habitual sin in your life that God is saying, stop. And today, your act of faithfulness to God is, I need to stop. I need to give that up. For some of you today, it's a service where he's calling you to serve someone, serve in a ministry. And you kind of, I don't know, I, you know. No, say yes. This is what God's calling you to do. Maybe for some of you, it's called to be a pastor, to be a missionary, to lead worship in a church, to lead in a youth ministry. Say yes. Whatever God's calling you to do today, say yes. Lord, I just want to be faithful to your call. Secondly, because he lives your life matters now as a Christian, so be passionate about that. We have everything to live for and nothing to lose as Christians. We have everything to live for and nothing to lose. Be passionate about your faith. Share the gospel with folks. Serve others. Invite people to church. Be passionate about this Jesus who lives. And finally, let me give you this as an action point. Not only be faithful, be passionate. Be at peace. Be at peace with what's to come. I know when we stop and start talking about death, it can be scary because you say, well, I, I, don't, I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't know how I'm going to die. 
don't know what's going to happen when I die as far as my loved one that I leave behind. And listen, I, I, I know that can keep some of you up at night, and I get stressed and worried about it as well. You know, being a, a dad of a son with special needs, we, we know that when one of us passes away, that, that changes our family dramatically. I'm with you sometimes in those moments of worry. I'm with you in sometimes those moments of doubt. I'm with you sometimes in those moments of fear of what's to come. But what, what the Bible's teaching you right here is this. Be at peace. Be at peace. Because you, as a Christian, know the Prince of Peace. You know the King of Kings. You know the Lord of Lords. And take that peace that he gives you and apply it to a future that you don't know every detail about. So when I get into those moments of worry, I get in those moments of doubt when it comes to death and what's to come like you do, I stop and I think, wait a minute. If I'm trusting in God to forgive me of my sin today, this is the God who forgives me of my sin today in whom I'm trusting. I'm trusting in him to take me to heaven. The same God that I've said, yes, Jesus, I need you to take away my sin is the same Jesus I'm trusting in one day to take me to heaven, to work out all those other details. And so this morning, be at peace with what's to come as a believer in Christ because you know and you believe and you worship the Prince of Peace. I invite you right now where you are to bow your heads. Just close your eyes for a moment and stop and think about what we just talked about. What's to come, what you believe about what's to come, will change how you live today. What you believe about what's to come will change how you live today. So what's the change you need to make? What is that area of faithfulness that God is calling you into that you need to say yes to? What is that area today of being passionate as a Christian? Maybe your love for the Lord is waned. Say, Lord, give me passion for you again and the people around me to serve. Maybe today it's being unsettled at what's to come because you don't know the Prince of Peace. Maybe your faith right now needs to say, I need to grow in that peace. So thinking about what's to come, how does it affect you right now today? Father, we thank you for the love that you give us. Thank you for the kindness that you show us. Lord, I thank you not only for your grace and your salvation that we find in Jesus, but Father, we thank you for his perfect justice. Lord, we thank you that when Christ comes again, all evil will be defeated. All those who stand opposed to him and reject him, Lord, they will be defeated as well. And Lord, we thank you that our greatest enemy, death, doesn't stand a chance for all of eternity. So Father, we thank you for the power of Christ. We thank you. And many of us in this room, Lord, trust that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of our lives. And this Jesus that we have trusted by faith to forgive us of our sin now is the same Jesus we're trusting when we die to take us right into heaven. But Lord, I pray today for the kids in this room, for the students, the teenagers, for every man and woman, those in this room, those watching at home, that Lord, if they've not bowed their knee to Jesus and they've not said yes to Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life, 
They will not harden their hearts any longer, but today will be that day of salvation for them. And so, Lord, as we make decisions the Holy Spirit is leading us to make, Father, I pray you give us the courage to make them, and Father, you give us the peace once they're made to continue to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.